Morning, Bethel. Morning. He is risen. It's great to see you all here this morning as we are gathered to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And Peter says in Acts 2, 24, God raised him, that's Jesus, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Amen. That is that's really good news. All right, our scripture reading this morning, Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. Please stand with me for the reading of the word. This is the word of the Lord, starting in verse 1 of chapter 21 of Revelation. Then I, that's the Apostle John, saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. You may have a seat. Amen. It's a good day. This is like the best day of the year, isn't it? Resurrection Sunday. I mean, every Sunday should be Resurrection Sunday. Um, That's even why we come together on Sunday is because it is in celebration of um, our Lord's rising from the dead. But this is a special one. So it's good to be together. All right, so how many areas of your life right now, if you think about it, um, do you wish you could have a new start in? So maybe you're longing for a new start, a new you, another chance. So maybe in your job, maybe you've gotten on the wrong side of your boss or on the wrong side of some colleagues, wish you could have a new start there. Maybe new start with your body. You know, some failed dieting or failed exercise plans, and you need to get it going again. Maybe with your house, maybe with neighbors in your neighborhood, stuff can happen, and it seems like things kind of blow up. Wish you could start over. Maybe with somebody you're interested in, like, oh, no, did I blow it? With a family member, maybe in your marriage, in your parenting, have regrets and wish you could have a do-over. With your finances, maybe you're struggling with debt and you wish you wouldn't have made some of those bad decisions. Maybe you're in school and you wish you could have some things over again because this semester's not going so well with your grades. Maybe it's something in the past that's dogging you, that plagues you. So I think probably all of us Somewhere in some aspect of life, we long for ruined things to be 
renewed. We long for lost things to be restored. We long for wasted things to be reclaimed. We long for broken things to be healed. And so if you've got any of those longings, I've got some good news for you this morning. So you came to the right place. God specializes in doing new things and making things new. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the ultimate proof and the ultimate fountainhead of all the most important newness that can be ours. So that's what we're going to consider this morning appropriately on this Resurrection Sunday morning. In fact, the resurrection is the beginning of all things new. That's really what we want to understand this morning, that the resurrection is the beginning of all things new. So Tyler read Revelation 21, 1 to 5, and it says, Behold, I'm making all things new, this vision of the end, when Jesus returns and everything is made new. But let's just step back for a bit, and we're going to move, like this is kind of where we're headed. We're going to move from the resurrection of Jesus, the beginning of all things new, to our renewal through Jesus, to the renewal of all things. Okay? So before we get to Revelation 21, we need to back up to the resurrection of Jesus because that's where it all gets started. Okay? So let's consider the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to stay in Revelation here for a minute. So flip to Revelation 1. Verses 4 to 5, and if you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 1028. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black Bible, um, black cover Bible in the pew in front of you, and you can just turn to page 1028. When I say chapter 1, that's the big number. Verse 4 or 5, those are the little numbers. Okay? So at the beginning of this Revelation that was given to the Apostle John. Here's what it says, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Beautiful Trinitarian reference there. Um, The one who is and was and is to come, God the Father, the seven spirits. Seven is the number of completeness of the sevenfold spirit. Not that there are seven spirits, but there's lots of um, uh, creative, poetic, and figurative language in, in Revelation, which can make it difficult to understand. So sometimes the spirit is spoken of as a person, sometimes his completeless his nature is being described so here the seven spirits are before his throne and from jesus christ so this trinitarian reference and jesus christ is the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead what does that mean firstborn from the dead wait is that actually true i mean if you read the old testament wasn't there like that little boy that died and elijah the widow of zarephath you know her son and and didn't he rise from the dead That was before Jesus died, before Jesus even came to the earth. I mean, what about Lazarus? He died and was raised before Jesus died and was raised, right? And there were others. So was Jesus actually the firstborn of the dead? 
Well, what actually happened to all of those folks that I was just mentioning? The raised from the dead folks. Well, they all died again. And they stayed dead. But Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. He was raised never to die again. So he's the only one who has passed through the judgment and has been raised to life never to die again. So in that sense, he is the firstborn of those who will rise, firstborn of those who will rise to everlasting glory in the new heavens and the new earth. So that point's actually reinforced just a couple chapters later in Revelation. So flip a page to Revelation 3.14. Keep your finger in chapter 1 there because we're going to need to compare something in a minute. But look at Revelation 3.14. This is among these letters to the seven churches, and Jesus has things to say to each of these churches, and the titles that are given to Jesus at the beginning of each of these letters is important. So look at verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, this is speaking of Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. Does that mean that he was created created before everything else was created? No. Does that mean that he was the agent of creation and through him creation began? Well, that's true, but it doesn't appear to be what's in view here. It seems that the point here is that Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. Okay? Do you see how this is parallel with chapter 1? This is why I said keep your finger there. Look at the parallel between 1.5 and 3.14. In 1.5 it says the faithful witness is the firstborn of the dead. In 3.14 it says the faithful and true witness is the beginning of God's creation. He's the beginning of the new creation. In other words, the new creation that's promised... The behold, I'm making all things new of Revelation 21, it's broken into human history with the resurrection of Jesus. He got it all started. The new creation, the making of all things new, began with the resurrection of Jesus. He's the beginning of the new creation. So New Testament scholar George Ladd wrote, this has led us to designate Jesus' resurrection as an eschatological, like an end times event. It is an anticipation of the end. To speak crudely, I think this is actually helpful, It is a piece of eschatology, a piece of the end times, split off from the end and planted in history. The end has begun. The future is present. Okay? So this isn't just with his resurrection. It actually was the case, if you think about it, with his healings and him casting out demons when he was on earth. That's what they were all about. These weren't just miracles to impress people. Okay, they weren't just magic tricks or publicity stunts aimed at wowing the crowds. That's not why Jesus healed people and raised the dead and and cast out demons. It was the the breaking in of the new kingdom, of the all things new, restored, healed, made new. 
So he was bringing restoration to the world. His miracles foreshadowed what he was all about and what he was going to accomplish. It's a preview. It's a foretaste of the new creation. One theologian wrote this, when Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he's driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God to which the healings witness restores sick creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Finally, with the resurrection of Christ, the new creation begins with the crucified one. Okay, so the, the males in the McGarvey household, okay, we like Marvel movies, okay, don't judge. Um, so at least the ones that, you know, they're allowed to see. So the trailer for the new Thor movie came out recently. Sam was quick to show me and Jono a week or so ago, I think. And then yesterday I was talking to the kids about these things, about the healings and the exorcisms, that they're not just magic tricks, but they're the breaking in of the future renewal. And Jono made a really great connection. He said, it's kind of like a movie trailer. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a movie trailer. Yes, yes, they are. So what is a movie trailer? It's a preview of the story and the glory to come. And even as I thought about it a little bit more, I thought about how movie trailers, like, the point is not to show off new CGI advances or special effects, even if that movie embodies some of those things or has some of that in it. There's no story in that. Those things serve the story. They're previewing a story. So if those things are utilized, it's intended to make the story itself more compelling. So the trailer is an early preview of coming attractions. It's meant to whet your appetite for opening night. Makes you want the whole story, the rest of the story. So the life and the teachings, the miracles of Jesus were pointing to something in the future. Because you know what? If, if all we had was the life and teachings and even the miracles of Jesus, I'm sorry, but we'd all be toast. Those things can show us his power, show us how to live, but they don't give us the power to live a new life. So the beginning of all things new really took place when Jesus dealt with our deepest problem, the deepest problem of the universe, the thing that's been killing us, dragging us down to the grave ever since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. It's sin. That's what's been killing us. So here's what happened. Here's what we believe, okay? Here's what we're banking our eternity on. We believe that 2,000 years ago, a young teenage peasant girl in a no-name town was visited by an angel who told her she was going to miraculously conceive a baby who would be the savior of his people. Sure enough, it came to pass Eventually, that baby grew up, became a peasant, Middle Eastern, blue-collar Jewish man. We believe that man was the incarnate Son of God, fully God and fully man, Emmanuel, God with us. It's crazy, isn't it? 
it gets better. <laughs> so he lived the perfect life. Tyler prayed about that because we're so thankful that that's true. He never sinned, so he was able to be a perfect sacrifice. He was able to die in the place of guilty, imperfect sinners like you and me. So he didn't die as a punishment for his own sins. He died for our sins. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, we've all looked the glory of God in the face and yawned and turned away, trying to find joy and satisfaction in, in all the created things and dissing the creator, really going like this to the creator. We've given him a big no-confidence vote. He's not worth our time. That's what we've all done. We've exchanged the truth about God, about the glory of God for a lie, and we've worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. So what that is, is you're looking the fountain of living waters, the fountain of all joy, the fountain of all satisfaction in the face, cold, clear, clean water for your soul's thirst, and going, I don't think you can do it. And you turn to created things and try to slake your thirst. And the Bible says that that's like trying to slake your thirst at the bottom of a broken cistern. Broken cisterns don't hold water. So you got to just kind of, you know, lick the bottom of that rusty thing trying to find something to satisfy you. So that's what we've all done. We've spit in God's face, given him this no confidence vote, turned away from him as if he's not worth our time. So God could have just said, well, to hell with you. Is that what you want? I mean, if you don't think I'm worth your time. But thankfully, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so he demonstrates that love in that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us, this substitutionary sacrifice in our place fully man so that he could stand in for us, fully God so that he's able to save us. So he's the sacrifice for our sins. We all like sheep, gone, sheep have gone astray. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So on the cross, Jesus literally paid the eternal penalty of sins, our sin, for all who would ever believe. Paid it in full, and he cries out, it is finished. Fully paid. Past, present, future sins. He breathed his last. He was three days in the tomb. If that throws any of you off, Friday is day one, Saturday is day two, Sunday is day three. It's not 24 times three, okay? On Sunday morning, his cold, lifeless body reanimated. He rose again. He really did in history, space, time. Victorious over the grave. Death could not hold him and had no claim on him. So, you know what? If, is that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. But, like, I think it's crazier to think that we're really just the result of random time and chance and. The things that you may experience as beauty and meaning and love are really just chemicals kind of swishing around in your brain, and this is just really a bunch of, you know, it's just a cosmic accident. So enough time, random chance, and you get this. That's crazy. But if the resurrection didn't happen, I mean, we're wasting our time here, right? 
I mean, you are wasting a really nice morning. Like you should have slept in. Or you could be at the beach. This could be the first weekend to be at the beach. It's going to be like 80-something today. You could be getting some yard work done or having a nice brunch with some friends. I mean, but just try not to think about the fact that death, death will inevitably win. You know, because you're still in your sins. So maybe just stay busy so you don't have to listen to your guilty conscience accuse you. Keep trying to prove yourself, you know, that you're better than most. And God, if, he, if there is a God, will hopefully grade on the curve and let you in. Well, thankfully, that's not true. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then that changes everything. There is a Savior, a living Savior, and there is new life for our spiritually dead souls. There's forgiveness, and there are fresh starts, new beginnings available to us through Jesus. Death doesn't get the last word. So we have a living hope that can't be killed by our circumstances or even by death. So... I don't know if you're like me. This is my favorite Sunday of the year, I think, because of these things. So what does the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah mean? What does this day represent? It certainly means that all the claims and the purpose of Jesus' death, his claims, they're vindicated. If he stayed in the ground, none of what he said or did means anything at all. But because he rose, even those who thought he was an imposter, that his death was a defeat, they had to rethink everything. Okay, so think about the Apostle Paul, like the, the resurrection for him, even the, even the apostles and the early disciples, I mean, they didn't expect this. They, they, they were kind of like scared and, you know, shrugging their shoulders, thinking, oh, we thought he was the one. But the resurrection shed light on the purpose of the cross. It went from foolishness to wisdom. It went from weakness to power. It went from defeat to victory. It went from shame to glory. It went from cursed punishment to to the source of all blessed peace with God. So the resurrection vindicates all of Jesus' claims, verifies that his death was in our place, it was effective, it accomplished its purpose, that his sacrifice was accepted by God, and all this grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and hope is actually available to us now so that we, you and me, we could be made new. So what does the resurrection of Jesus mean? It means we can be made new. Point number two, made new part one. Now, here's, here's what we're doing here. So if you think about Revelation 21, it's, it's the end of the story, Genesis 1, beginning of the story. And oftentimes what you have in the Bible is you have these really important threads, these themes that run the whole way through. They kind of all start at the beginning and they all come back together and get tied up at the end in Revelation 21 and 22. So we're here in 21, and we're kind of like grabbing one of those threads, and we're following it back a little bit, okay? So this all things new, like I said, at the resurrection, it began. Now let's look at how that impacts us. Flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can find that on page 966 if you're using the Pew Bible. Probably a familiar passage for many of you. 
So Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Huh. Does that sound like something you heard in Revelation 21? The old has passed away. The new has come. Okay, so in 2 Corinthians 5, what is the old that's passed away and the new that has come? Well, if you believe that message that I shared about what we believe a little bit ago, about who Jesus is and why he came and the effectiveness of his death and all of that, if you've repented of your sin, you've gotten out of the cistern, this isn't going to satisfy me. I'm going to turn from that. And you've trusted Jesus, you've run to him like the living water that he is, to drink, to satisfy your soul's thirst. If that's true, then you've become a new creation. You've been made new by the grace of God, by the power of the gospel, by the work of the Spirit in your heart. And so what happens is you have new desires, new desires to know and love God. And the old has passed away, rebellion against God, indifference to God, it passes away. New desires are birthed to love people, right? And the old of selfishness and self-centeredness passes away. You have new power over sin. You used to be a slave to it, but now you have new power to resist temptation. There's new freedom. Right? I mean, you have this clean conscience because you don't have to hide anymore. God sent his son to die while we were still sinners, so he loves us that much. He knows everything that we've done and thought, and through Christ he accepts us, and so we don't have to hide anymore. So we can have this cleansed, clean conscience. We've got security, soul-level security. So what passes away is the need to prove ourselves, to defend ourselves. Because now we know who we are, because we know whose we are. You have new goals and new desires, new aspirations. Selfish ambition passes away, and you want God to be glorified. You want his name to be hallowed in and through you. How about new contentment and envy passes away? New courage and fear and anxiety pass away, and on and on, right? I want you to see this from one other place. Titus chapter 3. So flip ahead. Titus is a little tiny book, and you'll find what we're looking for on page 998. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. We'll see this, this idea of us being made new. Titus 3, 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, note that word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, made right with God by his grace. It's a gift. We can't earn it. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay, so this 
regeneration and renewal. It's being made new from the inside out. Okay, now oftentimes it's really helpful, powerful to hear how this has happened in the lives of everyday ordinary people, okay, like you and me. So I was thinking, who, who might we have, you know, share testimony of how Jesus made them new? And actually, Tyler had a great idea. He thought, I'd love to hear Barry's testimony. Anybody else want to hear Barry's testimony? So maybe Yvonne, you could just make sure everybody knows who Barry is. Um, He's the one that says amen in all the right places. So he's right here. So if you don't know Barry, I'm here to tell you that you need to get to know him and the rest of our Mary Campbell friends. And I'm going to help you get to know him a little bit better right now, okay? So Barry was born with the physical challenges that he continues to endure today. He did not grow up in a home with Christian parents. Um, He didn't hear about Jesus and believe the gospel until he was 35. And he's in his mid-70s. So there was a woman named Norma who is still alive and is still in Barry's life, still a dear friend. She came and told Barry about Jesus. You love her, yep. (laughs) Yep. And he believed. So it was really sweet. After I asked him how he heard about Jesus, he said, how did you hear about Jesus? Um, That's Barry's heart. Just to, again, have you get to know him a little bit better. So before Barry became a Christian, he said he felt hopeless. Maybe some of you have resonated with that in the past. Maybe you resonate with that now. Now, if you know Barry, his hope in God And his eager anticipation of the renewal of all things is stronger than probably anybody in this room. I look up to Barry in that regard. I've learned from him. He's been an example to me. So after he became a Christian, Barry says, he felt better. (laughs) So I asked him why. He said, because I knew I'd be going to heaven. So he also told me about how he had new desires after he became a Christian. Yes, he is looking forward to that. We're going to get to that in a minute, Barry. Yep. So he had new desires. He wanted to read the Bible. He wanted to hear it read and taught. He wanted to go to church. He wanted to pray. He prays all the time. He wanted to go to prayer meeting. He is faithful every week. Um, And by the way, attending prayer meeting is worthwhile for lots of reasons, but one of them is to hang out with Barry and to hear him pray. You will be blessed and challenged. So here are a few of his regular prayers. Please come back soon. I'm tired of waiting. (laughs) And he prays for patience, and he asks us to pray for him for patience. He says every week, sometimes multiple times, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. He prays, please help everybody to believe in you. He prays, I love you, God, and then he says, I've never seen you. I can't understand that. That I love you, never seen you, can't understand that. He always ends his prayers with, in Jesus' precious name, amen. So 
For Barry, that's not a perfunctory kind of line at the end of his prayers. Jesus is precious to Barry. The resurrection of Jesus is precious to Barry. The hope of the resurrection is precious to Barry. And I asked him if he has any favorite Bible passages. He mentioned two. I'm sure there's lots more. He said the story of Moses being placed in the basket by his mother. And then when Jesus died for us. So I asked Barry what he's going to do the first day he gets his new resurrected body. What'd you say, Barry? Yeah, walk around heaven? Yep. All day. day. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. Yep. So, So Barry still has his struggles. So he still gets discouraged. He says he's impatient. He asks us to pray for patience. He still has questions like, will I get a new brain in heaven? Yes, because it's all things made new, right? So that's probably encouraging to many of us. Um, <laughs> he asks, what is forever? How long is forever? And I you know, try to give some pathetic little answer, and he says, I can't understand that, and I don't think any of us do. So he struggles. He has questions, but Barry is a new man. Yeah, forever. So thank you, Yvonne. You can let him get back to his spot there. So he has struggles, he has questions, but Barry is a new man. Okay? Yeah. And that's the case for all believers. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome, Barry. Thank you. So that's the case for all Christians. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. So things are pretty bad here under the sun. You know, dog-eat-dog world. It's not always, but it's not always going to be this way. One day, Jesus is going to come back and set the world to rights. And all things will be made new. And there is good news of newness because of Jesus. There is this solid living hope of eternal life in the new creation. But the world doesn't know it. It doesn't see it. So how are they going to know it? How are they going to see it? Is there any evidence in the world that God will one day make all things new? Where would you go to see the preview? The world should actually see it in us. So Jesus is the beginning of the new creation, but we're actually new creations in Christ, so the world should actually see that newness previewed in us, in the church. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Let's take this sensate, kind of lust-drenched world we live in. One day in the new creation, it will be nothing but perfect purity. And nothing but perfect love from sincere hearts, from one end of the universe to the other. And we, the church, should be a living preview of that. Christian men should not be hungry, predatory slaves of their selfishness. They should be full and satisfied in Jesus 
and therefore self-controlled, free to serve and give and protect and bless women. Christian women should not be hungry for the attention and affection of men in unhealthy ways. They should have no need to throw themselves at men nor expect men to be their saviors. They should never use their bodies to get what they want, right? So that's just one example. Like, just think of how you can multiply examples like this all day long. The world's full of pride. The church should be a display of this new world grace of Christ-like humility. The world's full of selfishness. The church should display the new world love that only God can give us because he first loved us. Okay, so the same with gratitude in place of complaint, joyful hope in the place of despair, meekness and gentleness in place of anger, graciousness in place of irritability, patience in place of impatience, peace that passes understanding in place of anxiety and fear, kindness in place of prickliness and touchiness, self-control in place of being slaves of our appetites, faithfulness in place of unreliability and empty promises, contentment in place of envy and covetousness. Now, it's a tall order. Of course, we're never going to display all of those things perfectly, but guess what? We can also display mercy. As we've been shown mercy, we've received mercy. We can forgive as we've been forgiven. We are patient with each other. We are gracious with those outside the church as God has been patient and gracious with us because we're a new people. And that newness is a foretaste. It's the first fruits of the fullness of newness that is yet to come. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, at present we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of the morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. Yet we cannot mingle with the splendors we see but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in when human souls have become as perfect in voluntary obedience as the inanimate creation is in its lifeless obedience. Then they will put on its glory, or rather that the greater glory of which nature is only the first sketch. That's when the full bumper crop harvest comes, we've got the foretaste, the first fruits now of newness. But all that newness is coming. So, third point, made new, part two. We're made new on the inside, new creations in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, but you know what? We still struggle, and this is a broken world. Our bodies are falling apart. You know, we're a mixed bag, we're a mess, we're up and down, all of that. But one day, we're going to be made completely new. So listen to Philippians 3, 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Or listen to 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him fully, because we shall see him as he is. We'll be fully glorified. 
So listen to what J.C. Ryle says here. He says, Let us not fail to see in the manner of our Lord's resurrection a type and pledge of the resurrection of his believing people. The grave could not hold him beyond the appointed time, and it shall not be able to hold them, us. The grave will not get the last word with us. He rose with a renewed body, and yet a body real, true, and material, and so also shall his people have a glorious body and be like their head, their Lord. So sin's power and even its presence will one day pass away. The effects of the fall will pass away. All shame and regret and scars and pain and loss will pass away. All brokenness and deformity and shrinking horizons, it will all pass away. Johnny Erickson Tata. She was in a diving accident at, what, 17, somewhere around there. So she's lived as a quadriplegic for 50 or more years. She says, I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsy, brain injured, who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. And just go on with whatever your struggles are. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. So John Newton summarizes this whole continuum here well. He says, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I ought to be. He's in need of further renewal. He was. He's dead. Um, So are we. I'm not what I will be on the day when he's glorified but I'm not what I was. I'm a new creation in Christ, right? And by the grace of God, I am what I am. So you remember that Titus 3, 4 to 7 thing, that regeneration word? You know it's used in one other place in the New Testament? It's used, you don't have to turn there, it's Matthew 19, 28. And it's usually translated something like, in the new world. Jesus is answering his disciples and he's saying, in the new world, this is what's going to happen. But it's that word regeneration. So in the regeneration, what's going on here? Do you see what's going on? We are a little microcosm of the renewal of all things. And just like we were regenerated, made new, made alive together with Christ and made new, one day the entire cosmos is going to be regenerated. All things made new. We are the preview. So you, if you're a Christian, you are a preview of the new creation. We, the church, we are intended to be a preview of the renewal to come, like a trailer of the opening night of the renewal of all things. So the all things new newness that we all long for has broken in. It's broken in through Jesus. It's broken into our world, into our hearts by His grace. And God intends to spread it to this world through us until it comes in fullness at the end. So we now end where we began, Revelation 21, 4 to 5, at the beginning of all things made new. Let's read it again together, verses 1 to 5. 
Here's what's coming, church. (laughs) Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea is where, you know, in their conception, worldview, it's where all the scary monsters come from. It's just the place of chaos. Leviathan comes out of there. The beast comes from there. So it's no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, the city of God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, all the stuff that brings us to tears, all the loss and pain and suffering and brokenness and evil, death, mourning, crying, pain, it's all passing away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You can bank on it. Write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So, have you gotten in on this? If not, what in the world is holding you back? Whatever it is, drop it and run to Jesus. He can make you new. The resurrection is proof. You may be a Christian, and you've known that old things passing away, and you knew some of that newness, but you've gotten dull. Maybe you've wandered. Maybe you need some renewal this morning. Well, again, you've come to the right place, not to me, to Jesus. So again, let these texts be the evidence of the heart of God. He specializes in new starts and renewal. And if you have gotten in on this by God's grace and you just are thrilled about it, or maybe you just came in and, you know, you just keep slugging away and life is busy and blah, 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 okay, let's get reoriented, get our eyes in the right place and realize what we have through Jesus and what is coming, what is ours through Jesus, this new life and hope, and just let that just sink in and let's savor it so that we praise God with joyful hearts no matter what our circumstances. Nothing, no one can take this living hope from you. No matter the disappointments you faced or are facing, this hope will never disappoint you. So no matter what you've lost or what's been broken or wasted or ruined, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close with a quote by Peter Kreeft, and then we'll sing a song and be done. I've quoted this before, but it's just so good. I'm going to do it again. Now suppose both death and hell were utterly defeated. Suppose the fight was fixed. 
Suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future and you saw with indubitable certainty that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could have, free for the asking, your whole crazy heart's deepest desire, heaven, eternal joy, all things made new. Would you not return fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you are guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing, fearing the loss of a penny, less a scratch on a penny. Just like Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glories that await us. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise and thank you that this is who you are and this is what you've done and this is what you are doing and this is what you promised to do. Help us to see it and believe it and I pray that it would renew us and thrill us and change us and strengthen us and equip us to bring this hope to those around us so that we can be this living preview of the day when all things will be made new. So continue to renew us, and through us, would you make more people new as we long for and anticipate the day when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. In his name we pray, amen.